Charrington, and I'm a newscaster with radio station CHML in Hamilton. From the stage of the Westdale Theater in Hamilton, Canada, we present Ken Sobel and his amateur. And once again, to give us a scoring rundown and introduce an outstanding list of guests, here is Percellus. Paul Hanover saying goodnight for Paul Page and his orchestra. Telling Hamilton stories and keeping you informed about what's happening in our community. Another one of the aspects of CHML in the days when I was a kid growing up listening to the station was the Ken Sobel Amateur Hour. Paul Hanover used to have a high school show where reporters would come in from each high school. I was at Delta, did a little bit, so it all really started right here at CHML. I occupied this time period for 17 years until 2007. We talked about a lot of things, got a lot of things done for and with the city of Hamilton and the people of Hamilton. Today, we return to our roots of being storytellers and truth seekers and bringing a strong opinion to the biggest stories of the day, including ones that matter most to you. This, this is the all-new Hey, it's Hamilton Today! I'm Curtis Thompson, Scott's son, along with news anchors Ted Michaels, Diana Weeks, and Lisa Poleski, and the production prowess of Still Will Erskine. And now your host, Scott Thompson! Oh my goodness. I got goosebumps on my goosebumps. My, my nipples are erect. Oh, my goodness. What an incredible day this is. And uh, if you're like me and a fan of the station as much as you are a person who's on it, uh, what an incredible montage of uh, the last uh, 100 years or so of what has been going on on this great radio station. And it is uh, truly an honor to uh, launch Hamilton Today. Uh, I'm Scott Thompson, Will Erskine, uh, of course, uh, producing this show and uh, news anchor. Uh, Ted Michaels is with us. Hello. Uh, and anchor Lisa Pileski is with us. Hello. Uh, and also Diana Weeks is with us in the sense that we have her picture sitting on the desk right here in front of us, but she's on holidays this week. Mm-hmm. And probably a good week to be Bond holidays, now that you stop to ponder it. Yep. But uh, it's, a, it's a pretty exciting time, and we're all pretty jazzed. Uh, about this and and what we're really doing is uh, just enhancing uh, what we already do and in that being talking more and of course uh, CHML has always been known to have a rock solid uh, news department and that's going to continue uh, with anchors Ted Michaels and Lisa and Diana I can tell you look he's already chomping at the bit to get on well, here. well I just wanted to point out one thing that that uh, promo the intro that we ran of all the voices was great just so you know Paul uh, Scott, I was not around for the Paul Page Orchestra days. Everything else I remembered, <laughs> not that one. 
Just thought I'd throw that in. All right, all right. So, uh, but anyway, what we want to do is we want to highlight everybody that's on the show uh, as we build the show and create this uh, uh, this new uh, this new show. So uh, you'll be hearing a lot of these people, and uh, we're going to be bringing them in at the forty-five and, and fifteen marks after the hour uh, to give us a tee up, and then each one of co- uh, of course anchors hosting the top uh, and bottom hour. So it's uh, it's going to be exciting to have uh, everybody a part of this as uh, as we move forward and uh so one of the biggest challenges of doing this show is now i am on a an incredible deadline with yes. timing yes. and i can't babble and we've already burned up the first break so yep. uh anyway uh ted uh, we have to talk a little yes. later because there's going to be a special feature called countdown to ted there's <laughs> one of many that we've already oh, no. uh, that we can talk about because we're out of time thanks for asking uh, me but again i, I want <laughs> yeah, really Ted is retiring soon. So anyway, uh, I, I wanted just to gather you all here in, in a huddle and thank you all so much for the support uh, that you've given this show uh, to date. And we're going to move forward. We're all going to have a great deal of fun. And I got in about uh, 10% of what we wanted to talk about during that break. So yep. we're not going to have any problems filling this stuff. Let me be very clear and state the obvious first and foremost. It is absolutely unacceptable that people be throwing things and endangering others at a political rally. There were volunteers and supporters. There are uh, police officers there to keep everyone safe. There were journalists such as yourselves doing a really important job informing Canadians of what's going on in this election and some of the tensions that are out there. Nobody should be doing their jobs under the threat or uh, or, or uh, under the threats of violence or acts that put them in danger. That's absolutely unacceptable. That is the Prime Minister. And that was pretty much the consensus across the board from uh, opposition leaders. It's completely unacceptable to see harassment of political figures, of media. We live in a great democracy and let's act like we do. We can debate our ideas. I don't agree with the fact we're even having an election. I don't agree with Mr. Trudeau's approach on many things, but I respect his ability to be able to communicate with Canadians free of harassment, intimidation, and violence, and for our media to report on that. And we should remember the country we are, which is a great democracy, that we need to have an election that reflects that. Uh, Aaron O'Toole, Conservative leader, talking about uh, what's been going on uh, on the campaign trail. It's it's bizarre when you think about it. Ted, you've been doing this an awful long time. Mm-hmm. Y- you've covered many elections. Have you ever seen this sort of vitriolic? Like, yeah, I mean, it's obviously anger. There's anger there. Anger is one thing, but what are we in the states? I mean, yeah. this is ridiculous. <laughs> you know, yeah, like, come on, it, yeah. th- th- there's no reason for this. And really and you isn't. know. And you, you have to wonder if you, you do things like this, uh, are you helping or hurting whatever your political aspirations are? I'm still convinced this is, these are just anarchists that are trying to create hell, but that's, you know, the way it is. Can we be surprised? Yeah, I think we can. Uh, considering the anger, uh, that's out there, I, I think this is a surprising a lot of Canadians. Let's bring in Phil Gursky, president of Borealis Threat and Risk Consulting, director of the University of Ottawa Security Program and for, uh, former analyst for CSIS and is with us now. Phil, thanks for the time. I uh, hope you're doing well. You know, the last time we were talking, it's about Afghanistan. This certainly isn't the same as that. I don't know how to draw a comparison, but my goodness, uh, are you surprised with what we're seeing? Well, first, congrats on the new time slot and new show, Scott. It's great news. Um, Thank you. Um, I am and I'm not. You, you alluded to the anger in this country. There's a lot of it. Unfortunately, a lot of it's directed towards the current prime minister. 
And maybe some of the anger is understandable, given COVID, all kinds of stuff. But as the Prime Minister said, and as the opposition leaders have said as well, Scott, this is completely unacceptable. This is un-Canadian. And you know what? You can be angry, frustrated, want to vote the current leader of office, but you can't be throwing stones or rocks or whatever at people. This is so beyond the pale that I don't think anybody supports this kind of action. And certainly no political leader would support this kind of action. So why is this going on? Why, uh, you know, again, you mentioned the anger. I guess that's uh, that's obvious with everybody. But at the end of the day, uh, if you have if this is supposed to make some sort of political impact, I mean, is this helping anything? What cause are you helping here? Oh, you're helping anything. And maybe I mean, it's hard to say exactly what the factors are for individuals. But are we seeing a dumbing down of, of political rallies now in the sense that you know, we saw what happened south of the border over the past four years under the current uh, previous president. We saw what happened on January the 6th. Are people now thinking this is an acceptable behavior to register your, your displeasure, to register your opposition to somebody? I hope this is a flash in the pan. I hope people say, you know what, this is, this, this is as I said, completely unacceptable. It's very much against what Canadians stand for. And I'm hoping that these people are either told or realize that, you know what, we've gone way too far. I don't know, Scott. We've seen a lot of you know behavior online that's that's descended into invective and and swearing and four-letter words and stuff. I, I hope we can get a handle on this sooner rather than later. Are these political uh, party supporters that are just organized, or is this are, are these just anarchists that are trying to to create chaos, or is this what? organization in a political movement is about now i'm still not ready to say that and and still look to uh you know the chaos and and anarchy factor i mean is is this is there a political motive here really hard to say i think i agree with you i think it's a dog's breakfast of people there may be people who are actively trying to you know get a new political party in power i think there are people who are you know they're they're excited and they're kind of ginned up on what they see online in terms of messaging. I think there probably is a level of anarchy as well. I think there's people that just want to raise a stink and do it in a violent way. I, I think it's a complexity of actors. I would hope, and I would say at this point, there's no evidence to point that it's politically motivated in the sense that any party is behind this, uh, even if they may kind of lean towards one party or another. I think this is just individuals and maybe groups of individuals that get together online and in the real world and decide, you know what, we can do this, we're going to do this, we're going to make our mark. We're going to make what we think is a difference, and we're going to get on, on, on the 6 o'clock news. And the way to do that is to act violently. And, I, yeah, again, I, I don't think this is representative of anybody, but a bunch of people that just think that throwing stones and yelling four-letter words is a, is a way to get your message across. So uh, if you are in charge of, of policing this, Phil, how do you secure this situation? What do you tell the, uh, the campaign? What do you tell the party leaders? What do, you, what, do you, what do you say to them as they continue through this campaign? Well, this is where it really gets difficult, Scott, because you've got to be really, really careful. If you overreact to this, and I'm not saying that this doesn't merit a reaction, but if you overreact to it with a strong show of force, you're probably going to feed more of it. Because people will point it to, look at, look at the police brutality. Look at the police overreaction. I think you've got to be really careful. Obviously, the, the protection of the candidates and their entourage is paramount. As the Prime Minister said, journalists and people deserve to be protected as well. I think you basically try to identify possible actors in advance through intelligence and through law enforcement investigations you obviously try to put some kind of perimeter up so that they don't get that close to the prime minister and others but you got to do so you know in in this era of, of twitter and instagram scott where everything is you know one cell phone shot away from a major crisis 
you've got to be really careful how you deal with this thing because, as I said, the last thing you want to do is have something go viral about a, you know, a police officer beating somebody with a truncheon or handling somebody roughly. So I, my, 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 I don't envy the law enforcement officers here. This is a real tough one to have to manage. Uh, we have seen O'Toole do a lot of virtual stuff simply due to the, the, the COVID-19 pandemic. Will we start to see more of that uh, rather than the rally experience, which, you know, many have said isn't isn't the safest situation anyway during a pandemic. But now for security reasons, man, you'd, hell, you'd hate to think that, that that's going to happen. I mean, a pandemic's one thing, but security. Uh, can you see that? Well, you raise a really good point, and you're right. I think in an era of COVID, some of the virtual events are probably expected because of the nature of the pandemic. But, you know, if we've got a bunch of, you know, a small group of losers who are able through their actions of violence to sort of eliminate political rallies, which you say is very much part of the Western democratic process, I'd be a very sad day for democracy if, uh, you know, a, 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 you know, onesies and twosies can, you know, act violently and shut down an entire way of doing politics. I hope not. But I think you're going to see more virtual for the reasons of the pandemic and for reasons of security. And who knows, Scott, maybe this is the new normal for politics. Maybe mm. we do everything else virtually, right? I can open my garage from, like, uh, Kenora. Maybe uh, <laughs> I can also do my political campaigning from, you know, virtually from Kenora as well. Oh, man, why not? Phil Gursky with us, president of Borealis Threat and Risk, uh, Risk Consulting, director of the University of Ottawa Security Program, former analyst at CSIS, talking about the uh, stone throwing on the campaign trail, literally. Phil, thanks for the time. Be well. My pleasure, Scott. You take care. All right, 905-645-3221, star 9900 on your cell. Let's go to the phone. What are your thoughts? Hello. Hello, go ahead. Yeah, hi. Uh, yeah, it's the Prime Minister. I mean, regardless of your political background, throwing rocks at people, I mean, that's assault, and it's just yeah. wrong. Yeah, I agree 100%. Why do you think it's got to this stage? Why do you think we have this anger? Oh, I, ha- I have no idea. People will come up with anything nowadays. You know, uh, anything uh, with the with the lockdowns and everything, uh, you know, people get angry just about any little thing these days. All right. Thanks for the call. If it's happening now, we're talking about it. This is Hamilton Today with Scott Thompson on 900 CHML. Feel free. We would love to hear from you. Send us a note via the website, Scott Thompson at 900CHML.com. Dr. Timothy Sly, standing by, epidemiologist. We're going to talk about back to class moments from now. Poll question of the day, though. Uh, do you support mandatory COVID-19 vaccination? 76% of you roughly are saying yes at this point. And you can jump on board our Twitter page to offer uh, in, in whatever way you want to vote and then of course uh good morning hamilton rick zamperin will have the results for you tomorrow morning tyler's on the line wants to comment on this uh tyler what are your thoughts uh do you support mandatory vaccines um so i got two points i do support mandatory vaccines but as canadians and we're all canadians here um we know that we can't sit them down in a chair strap them down and give them the jab even if we want to do that right all these anti-vaxxers and stuff like this but what we can do, and I don't even think we have to enforce it. I think it's going to, um, I think it's going to come to fruition on its own. That restrictions are going to get to the point where I think even mandatory or uh, uh, essential services are going to get to the point where they're going to require um, some form of proof that you've been vaccinated. Um, I think it's just going to come to that over a period of time as the coronavirus gets worse and worse, um, because we're seeing, especially now with this Delta virus. Um, strain we're finding that even people that are fully vaccinated are getting sick so my second point being and as sad as it is these anti-vaxxers and the people that are um completely against it i don't don't even think it's a political thing i think that they're just 
They're so against it. It's only a matter of time. And again, as sad as it is before they get sick too, and they're in our hospitals and are filling up our ICUs, and they're depending on the people that are vaccinated to keep them healthy and keep them alive. And it's only a matter of time. And like I said, it's sad, but it's the truth. If the Delta virus yeah. and the Delta strain is getting through the vaccinations and the protections and the, the barriers that we're putting up, if it's getting through that and it's making them sick, it's going to make the people that have no protection against it extremely sick. And that's what we're hearing, too. It, 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 it's going to be the unvaccinated that drives the fourth wave. I think I also read today, if you are unvaccinated, you have 24 times the chance of getting uh, the vaccine. So you're right. That's the discussion moving forward. Yeah. So, uh, do you think it's worth, do you think it's about education or do you think it's offering incentive? Like you can't do this unless you uh, are vaccinated or even Alberta. They tried the lottery, but that didn't work. Is, what's the best way to, to get people to get the jab? I think that it's just going to get to the point where restrictions on where you can go and what you can do, like it's not just going to be, you know, um, you know, extra things like going out for dinner and going to the movies and stuff like that. It's going to be, you know, I bet you if they told you that you couldn't go to the LCBO, everybody would be getting back to me. Yeah, that's a very good point. Hey, that is a very good point. All right. Tyler, thanks for the call. Much appreciated. Uh, it's fascinating that we are where we are. And, you know, as Tyler said, we can't hold people down and start stabbing them. I mean, it's just, it's Canada. It's a democracy. It's not China. So uh, it, it's going to be fascinating to see where this goes as uh, the uh, pandemic progresses. All right. Students returning to class today and tomorrow, uh, depending on where you are. Halton went back today. Hamilton is going back to, uh, tomorrow. We're sitting at 564 uh, new cases, about 83% of us fully vaccinated, 76% or sorry, 83% with the first dose, 76% uh, with the second dose. Uh, so we're in pretty good shape that way. However, uh, we are still seeing some pressure on the, uh, the hospitals and, um, and the fourth wave being driven by the unvaccinated, which are apparently 24 times more likely to come down with uh, COVID-19 than those who are vaccinated. Let's bring in Dr. Timothy Sly, epidemiologist, professor at the School of Population and Public Health Ryerson University with us now. Tim, thanks for the time. Hope you're well. Uh, yes, thank you, Scott. Uh, before we get to back to class, uh, just your thoughts off the top, uh, international travel restrictions uh, eased uh, in the last 24 hours or so, and now international travels, uh, travelers are allowed into Canada as long as they are fully vaccinated and have a negative test. Your thoughts, does this change much? Well, it's uh, it's opened the door a little bit. I mean, it, you know, it looks a bit more encouraging. Uh, I think we need to be very careful that we still are seen to be doing the right thing and that we do the right thing, that we don't want to start increasing uh, numbers again. Numbers will increase as the fall begins to, to move on. There's no doubt about that. But we, so we've got to make sure we're not making any silly mistakes here. So I think the airports are doing... Uh, uh, a, a good, good, uh, good screening process at the border. My neighbor came back uh, very early this morning. She just went straight through, checked her, all the paperwork, and was no, no. Hit. But I think as the as the airlines land a lot more planes, I think we're going to see big long lineups, and we no, don't want to cut corners of that, unfortunately. And you know, at the end of the day, considering uh, where we are with vaccination and, and the majority of people being vaccinated and such, and and, and lots jumping on board, uh, it's probably easier just to do this than it is to try to keep all, try to keep people apprehended in some sort of quarantine hotel. I mean, now that we have the vaccination, this just seems to be the logical move forward. 
Yeah, I think Canada still deserves to pat itself on the back for the for the reasonably good job it's done. I wouldn't have thought we would have we, we would have been here if we asked me about uh, seven eight months ago at this point, with such a lot of people vaccinated. However, it's getting that last percentage of people we want. We at currently of all the population, we're at about sixty eight sixty nine percent of the population have been fully vaccinated. Uh, we need to be at about eighty five percent. So getting that last. Uh, 15% or so, 16% is going to be extremely difficult. I don't know what they're waiting for. All the evidence, you, you read it off at the top, all the evidence is, is clear. Whether you're looking at ICU, hospitalizations, simply being diagnosed as a case, it's clear that the virus is attacking two groups of people. One is the unvaccinated adults. It's going after them like, uh, like, like there's no tomorrow. And the other group, of course, are, are the children who aren't really suffering that much at the moment, but they are, the numbers are beginning to go up with, among children. Of course, they, they can't be vaccinated, you know, so we have to do the right thing in looking after them. So your thoughts on heading back to school this week and where we are, are you confident? Well, I'm never really confident. You never ask epidemiology people if they're really confident. They're always a bit nervous, you know, a bit twitchy. But, of course, it's what we all need, and the kids need it more than anything. We need to get them back in the classroom and with their mates and so on. But we need to be doing the right thing. So masking, yes. Cohorting when they're in the classroom, maybe when they're on the playing field, it's not that important. But uh, the environmental sanitation, yes. Everybody around them should be vaccinated, and that's a little bit of a hair stands up in the back of the neck when they realize that there are some teachers who, for some reason, are not vaccinated. And I really yeah. somehow question that. But for the majority, I think we're doing the right thing. Numbers will go up. We need to be prepared for that. But let's see it going up at the very minimal needed. I don't want to be talking to you uh, a year from now saying, well, we got, rid of, we got past wave seven, and we're now looking <laughs> yeah. for wave 11. I mean, eight, yeah. rather. No, there's no, we, we, let's, let's get it done with. Uh, we will know, and this, is, this reminds me of uh, when we chatted after a long weekend, uh, Timothy, when uh, in about 14 days we'll know how successful we're at, at all of this. Yeah, if anything, the incubation period is shortened slightly. It's probably between five and six days. You can count on that. Uh, Fourteen days is always the, the maximum sort of ever seen. So five or six days is when we begin to see that. Kid, kids are, are, are not going to be uh, uh, falling like flies as they were, in the, mm -hmm. unfortunately, with the old folks' homes in the very beginning, 18 months ago. And they, it was terrible. But, of course, uh, we are worried about children in their, long, their, their version of long-term COVID, you know, the multi-system uh, inflammatory response. So that's a problem because we look at uh, learning disabilities and all kinds of things down the road. So we do need to keep kids as safe as possible and uh, let's, let's let's hope we're all so i think reminders conversation transparency uh, all all these things working together should uh, should work parents children schools uh, external people media you know let's see let's see us all working together on this and we'll get through the winter what advice do you have for parents sending their kids back this week well, I think to uh, to get a positive spin on it with the children, not to say, you know, this is an awful thing, you've got to wear this, you know, GD mask and so on. No, 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 a positive spin all the way, uh, because this is, this is the way we're going to get through this uh, without uh, too much casualties. Uh, and I think that's the way to do it, to look at it in a, in a positive light. If you do that, I think we, we, we'll, we'll get through this. 
Dr. Timothy Sly with us, epidemiologist and professor in the School of Population and Public Health, Ryerson University, talking about returning to class and travel restrictions, international travel restrictions uh, being eased. Uh, as always, Timothy, thanks so much for the time. Be well. My pleasure, Scott. Bye-bye. It is Hamilton today. Uh, I remember when I was on Y95, Roy was doing his talk show uh, I think it was nine to noon at the time. And he always had the best chair. Like somehow Roy would command everybody's attention. He had the, the, the ear of the boss and he always had the best chair. I was doing the morning show at Y95 and I used to always go in and steal his chair before, uh, his show. And then inevitably I'd forget to take it back and I'd have to do my last work standing because Thompson, where's my chair? Where's my chair? Bring my chair in here, Thompson. Uh, and I'd have to, yes, Mr. Green, here I come. And I'd be pushing the chair down the, you know, the thing, uh, the hallway. Uh, Roy Green is, uh, of course, heard every Saturday and Sunday on the Chorus Radio Network. And he is a Queen Golden Jubilee gold medal, three times Canadian Associated Bra- uh, Association of Broadcasters Gold Ribbon Award recipient, Gallery of Distinction Hamilton. I haven't won nothing. Oh, I'm wrong. I did win the Celebrity Demolition Derby at the Caledonia Fair like 100 years ago. But other than that, so with that, let's bring on the legendary Roy Green. So great to have you here. How have you been? Well, I, everything in life is wonderful, Scott. Thank you so much for inviting me. And congratulations on the new program. Thanks so much. Uh, this is a very exciting time, and my goodness, you have been a part of uh, many different versions of CHML over the years, and always a solid anchor, and still are uh, to this day on the weekends. But tell us about your first moments on CHML, what it was like for you to sit down at that uh, microphone in this juggernaut. The year was 1990, and I'd been doing uh, breakfast radio on what was then CKDS FM 95, which was light uh, rock music, and uh, the station was going to be changing formats, and I'd left hard rock radio when I was in my early 20s, and I wasn't going back. So uh, Don Luzzi, who was our president at the time, great man, president, general manager, called me in, and he said, you know how I've always told you you talk too much on the radio? (laughs) Well, now you're going to have your opportunity. I want you to host a talk show. So, you know, we sat down, we had a good conversation. It was something I really wanted to do, Scott. I'd done uh, magazine interview shows previously. So in, in June of 1990, I sat down and did my first show, and I thought I was prepared. I just had it <laughs> wired, ready for phone calls, ready for action. And I died. <laughs> Nothing happened. No calls. It's a terrible feeling, yeah. <laughs> particularly when you're doing your first talk show. And so uh, I struggled through that, and I, there was there was moisture on my forehead. I wasn't sure whether it was sweat or blood. <laughs> <laughs> and, and the second day wasn't much better. So I went back to see Don, and I said, I don't think this is going to work. <laughs> and he said, why don't you give it a little bit of time? Just, just do, just, just evolve, just let it happen. And at that time, Scott, the Oka crisis yeah. place. Mm-hmm. And I really immersed myself in that issue. Um, had all the phone calls of everyone on both sides of the, of the, the, so the demarcation line in Quebec. And we did wall-to-wall coverage because it was the biggest story in Canada, huge international story. And I found what I wanted to do. I really found that I wanted to 
get ahead of the major news stories. And I also felt like what we needed to do was not just follow other people's news lead, but create our own news stories or, or create our own events, not create them, but, but follow stories or, or engage in stories nobody else was covering. And that worked out extremely well over the years. I have to say to you, in the 30-odd years since then, I, I felt like I've had a wonderful run at radio. I'm still enjoying it tremendously. We've made some differences in some people's lives. We've had effects uh, on, on news developments. Our listeners have been engaged, and I have just the greatest of respect for CHML listeners because they do become involved. It's been a really terrific symbiotic relationship. As you look back, and I remember last year having uh, you and Rick Zampern on to talk about 9-11, and I'm hoping to do this, uh, do that as well later on uh, in the month, uh, but, but what stands out for you as a memorable moment? There must be several. Yeah, um, the one that I will never forget is I received a voicemail one day, and it just said, remember Joey Bellamy, the crime is now extraditable. And I remembered sort of the essence of the story. Joey was a little boy in Hamilton who had been run over and dragged 600 feet under a car by an individual by the name of Thomas Martin. Martin was an American draft dodger who'd come to Canada, worked as a pharmacist, and had been at a Christmas party and left the party and ran over Joey, killed him, and left Canada and, uh, and ran back to the United States gave interviews that he was not going to be coming back, that he had his own family to raise. He was charged with criminal negligence causing death, which was non-extraditable at the time. Nineteen years later, when I received that call, it had become extraditable. And so we decided to, I decided, to pursue Thomas Martin and see if we could bring justice to the Bellamy family. And it began with a call to, he'd been a pharmacist in, uh, in Kentucky, and I found a Martin pharmacy in the town that he came from. And I called the pharmacy, and an individual answered. I said, are you Thomas Martin? He said, who wants to know? Huh. So I identified myself and told him what I was interested in, and he hung up. And I thought, okay, this is interesting. Called the Kentucky and uh, Ohio newspapers, because it was right on the border of the two states. They ran a major story on the front page about a Canadian radio program that was looking for an American individual who'd killed a seven-year-old boy 19 years earlier. And it uh, became an international story. We started to get, there was no email at the time, we started to get faxes and phone calls reporting Martin had been seen. Eventually, the, uh, an extra, a warrant was signed for his arrest. U.S. Marshals started looking for him. Uh, the uh, spectator became involved with me in pursuing Martin, and he was found, he was charged, he was imprisoned, he was kept in prison in Atlanta for a year as a flight risk, he eventually was brought to Canada, was tried in Hamilton, was found uh, not guilty because evidence had, dis you know, had disappeared over the years, and people had died in the interim, but the Bellamy family got to see the individual who had killed Joey in court in Canada, tried and even though he was found not guilty and sent back to the United States, I changed his life forever. To me, that has been the defining story of my career, Scott. My there have been many that have made a major impression, uh, including working with other with victims of crime over the years. 
uh, I have chills, and uh, that is what talk radio is all about. Uh, we've only got about a minute left here or so, Roy. Talk about the relationship between Hamilton and CHML and what local media means to this city and, and how important it is. I arrived in 1973. I was in my early 20s. I had no money. I was flat, busted, broke. I had a job waiting for me in, in Montreal. This was January of 1973. I had a job waiting for me in Montreal, but it wasn't available until the spring. So I took the job at CHML to work overnights. I'd never done that before. I had no idea what it was like to try to broadcast at 3 a.m. when your eyes are closed. <laughs> uh, but I started to hear from people in the city of Hamilton. I started to interact with listeners I grew very quickly to understand the importance of CHML to the community and the relationship that existed between the radio station and the city of Hamilton, the people of Hamilton. Scott, within three weeks, I decided I was not going back to Montreal. I was staying in Hamilton, so impressed with the people, so impressed with the radio station. Best decision I ever made. Roy Green has been with us, and you can be with him too every single week, uh, weekend afternoon across the Chorus Radio Network, including CHML. Roy, thanks so much for coming and uh, sharing your stories with us. And uh, best of luck to you, and we'll be listening again this weekend. Scott, thank you, and thank you for everything you do as a broadcaster. You are one of the very, very best. Forget about his two cents. Scott has an entire vault filled with opinions. This is Hamilton Today with Scott Thompson on 900 CHML. The poll question of the day today, as uh, launched by Rick Zamperin and Good Morning Hamilton Today, uh, do uh, you support mandatory COVID-19 vaccinations? Do you support... Uh, mandatory COVID-19 vaccinations. You can vote on our Twitter page, hit our Twitter page, and you'll find all of this, the link to it. Uh, Right now, 76% of you are saying yay, and 23% of you are saying no. Uh, Feel free, hit our Twitter pages and uh, vote. Make sure you're listening tomorrow to Rick, and they will have the results of uh, the poll question of the day. So uh, please participate. Love to hear. Uh, First day of school today for... Uh, Halton tomorrow for Hamilton and of course lots of concern in around that uh, right now we're sitting at about 83 percent of eligible Canadians with the first dose 76 percent of eligible Canadians with a second and about 564 uh, new cases today so we're holding our own and hopefully that'll continue as uh, we get through September and launching the kids uh, and how has that been uh, just in the day or two before uh, my uh, daughter up in uh, Kitchener in uh, university, my son uh, starting grade nine. So it's a pretty exciting time around the Thompson household. Uh, lots of anxiety, as i sure it is around yours uh, as well. But the interesting thing and another, I guess, indication that we are slowly moving forward in this, and, and hopefully, you know, we won't have to pause, uh, is that we are starting to see as of uh, uh, Monday international travel restrictions for those fully vaccinated coming into Canada have been eased. So uh, these are people who have been fully vaccinated, uh, I believe also have to provide a, uh, a, a negative proof of a negative test. And uh, those international travels travelers are allowed to come into Canada, uh, providing they are fully vaccinated, very similar as we did to those uh, just a little while ago in the United States. Let's bring in Jamie Brocker, digital broadcast journalist with Global News and with us now. Jamie, thanks for the time. Hope you're well. 
Uh, how significant is this now? Uh, at one time when we would amount, uh, announce this, uh, lots of people would get up in arms and, whoa, whoa, what are we doing yet? Not seem, doesn't seem to be, uh, that much concern or is there? It's just, it's kind of hidden in an election campaign. <laughs> I think it's a, it depends on who you talk to, because I spoke to two different infectious disease physicians, um, one who has no concerns and says we're doing the right thing. We have to get back to travel at some point. We're asking for proof of vaccination. If you're not fully vaccinated, you still do have to do the 14-day quarantine. Um, and then I spoke to another infectious disease physician out of Montreal who has his concerns saying, you know, Delta is circulating. It's highly transmissible. If you look at the science, uh, it says that fully vaccinated people can still become infected with Delta and they can still spread it. And we're already facing um, a bit of a crisis here in the fourth wave in Canada. Uh, and he would like to see modified isolation periods based on vaccination status, which I, I really don't think that we're going to go back there at this point just based on the fact that the borders have been closed for so long. Travelers have really been um, waiting for this. You mentioned the election. I have no doubt that this um, is tied to that in, in some way. You know, they really wanting borders to be back open. Um, and then the other thing is you have to remember that there, ha- there are Canadians who have been living abroad who have been waiting to come home. So it's mm. not just travelers. It's, it's Canadians as well. Uh, any different, uh, I guess this isn't really any different than, uh, a, a couple of weeks ago when they opened up the U.S. border to U.S. citizens coming into Canada who are fully vaccinated. Has there been any response from the United States on this? Cause we remember, uh, although, uh, and, and we're talking about air travel, you know, with, with you mm-hmm. today, but, but with land travel, uh, we opened our border to the United States. They didn't necessarily open it up to Canadians. Yeah. Now we're opening up our international, uh, uh, air travel border. Is the U.S. weighed in on this at all? Do you know? Uh, So in terms of travel to the U.S., it's still kind of status quo. If you're going by land, you're not welcome. (laughs) If you are going by air, you can still get into the U.S. Um, The other portion of this is uh, the government, the Canadian government, I should say, is ensuring that some more high-risk, high-transmission countries are still under travel restrictions and suspensions. So this isn't a, um, you know, fully lifting of all restrictions for all countries. Uh, I would go online and and check if the country that you're trying to come in from uh, is included in that suspension. I know that India and Morocco are, for example. Um, So it's not a full 100% lifting of all of these um, different exemptions and all, sorry, different restrictions. And there are exemptions as well, uh, especially if you're traveling with children um, and they vary based on range. So that's something if you are taking a trip to look into. Have you heard anything about different types of vaccine or what have you? Does that matter? Mm-hmm. I mean, we remember mm-hmm. earlier on, some were considering if a mixed dose is an issue. It probably isn't an issue coming into Canada since we're doing it, but any more mm-hmm. on that? Yeah, it absolutely does matter. So to be considered fully vaccinated, you have to have one of the Health Canada approved vaccines. And that includes four different uh, vaccine brands. That's AstraZeneca or your COVID shield, um, your Johnson and Johnson. So that is a single dose. I know we're often talking about double doses, but that's a single dose. And then um, Pfizer and Moderna. So outside of those four different vaccines, you are not considered to be fully vaccinated here in Canada. And when you think about it, now that there is uh, so much vaccine available and there's so many of us already uh, vaccinated, it's probably easier to do this than it is to try to police some sort of quarantine uh, system, which, you know, kind of had its holes we saw Mm -hmm. way back when. 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, here in Canada, we know vaccines are, are widely available. When you're talking about other countries, there's still a lot of uh, vaccine inequity. So there, there are some some issues there. And also getting access to Canada, Canadian approved vaccines isn't easy for everyone. Um, but actually, our global Toronto team was at Pearson today, and they did speak to somebody who was only partially vaccinated. And they know that that means that they still have to face um, a period of isolation. So um, there's different, I guess, paths for different people and uh, different vaccination statuses. And again, with the, as you mentioned earlier, Jamie, the fact that uh, those under 12 has not been vaccinated, you wonder how difficult it's going to be for families that are traveling. Yeah. So like I said, there are exemptions for for people who are traveling with their young children and they're actually not that difficult a lot of them are through the arrive can app so say that you have unvaccinated children of the age of 12 and they're flying with their parents or step parents guardians whatever um it may be who are fully vaccinated they will too be uh exempt from the 14 day quarantine but they have to meet all of the testing requirements so that is a negative uh, molecular covid19 test within 72 hours of flying all right, Jamie Marocker is with us, digital broadcast journalist with Global News. As of uh, this weekend, international travel restrictions for the fully vaccinated coming into Canada have been eased as long as you are fully vaccinated. Well, it appears, Jamie, we're slowly getting out of the water. Let's keep our fingers crossed. Thanks so much for the time. Be well. Have a good one. All right, you can uh, find out more about that on our Global News website. We're starting off this uh, uh, great new show, a great new morning show this morning, mm-hmm. and uh, and lots of talk and lots of chatter. And, you know, as I was uh, sitting down thinking about doing the show, uh, one thing that I wanted to touch on and, and one thing I thought of is that uh, our good friend and news anchor, uh, Ted Michaels, mm-hmm is uh is going to retire eventually yeah and you you announced this eventually i guess we all are eventually aren't we uh and you announced this on my show uh the old show a while ago yeah and so what was the date do we know december 15th december 15th so you're roughly 95 three and a half months 95 days yeah roughly yeah so we're going to do a feature called countdown to 10 (laughs) nice and what, don't sound so humble now. Here I'm thinking, you know, you're like going to be like, this is going to be like watching Ted make an eight here. He's going to be like on a galloping Bronco here. <laughs> and uh, so, so don't turtle on me here now, Ted. No, no, I just don't. No, don't oh, go I ahead. know. I know. You don't like it when we, when we, uh, you know. Draw attention. Well, to, you know, I, Draw I'm, attention to yourself like I, you do on a Saturday night with your neighbors. Yeah. Anyway, uh, so uh, so I wanted to take this this time. And, and what, what I'd like to do over the course of the next night. 90 days or whatever and you know we don't you know we'll 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 do it as need be i want to hear some old stories oh geez. i want to hear i want to hear some how long have you been in radio 45 years see i thought i was in a lot at, at 36 but see you're gotcha <laughs> yep gotcha yeah, yeah. so 45 years yep, yep. there's going to be all kinds of things so I, yep. and as well let's remember uh ted also hosts the health and wellness show which which airs every saturday at 7 a.m right so you know you want to do an element of that you know whatever but this is all part of the countdown to ted and i think you deserve this as you uh uh you know stroll it like i sound like uh you know all of a sudden i'm don fox doing uh you know planning your financial future <laughs> 
<laughs> as you journey off into the daisies. Well, let's put it this way, uh, and I want to em- emphasize a couple of things. First of all, this is my decision. I'm stepping down because I think the time is right. And this was done long before yeah. this weekend. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it was, yeah. We, this, you, we announced this on the show a long yeah, time ago. Yeah, yes. um, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. yeah we, we talked about this for a long time, and there's no good time. There's no bad time. It's just like now is the time. And I'm gonna, Yesterday is and pretty not, good. Yeah, Yesterday and, would yeah. be great. And, yeah, and I'm just saying um, I'm stepping down from full time but i'm still going to be doing stuff for the station so i'm not going to be on as much so when they say you talk too much that will exclude me because i won't be on as much after december 15th but i will still be here i'm not i'm not like going off into the sunset you'll never see ted again you know what it's it's funny that everybody says that because you know i think once you get that taste of freedom out the door it'll be geez do i have to go back there and do that again today yeah uh but but we'll see and and uh it'll be fascinating to to watch this but what i wanted to capture now do you yep. remember yep. the very first time you were on the air november 30th 1975 <laughs> and the reason i know that because i checked and i was doing all nights <laughs> at a station no let me Wait check no, no, no. how do you check that is there a ted diary somewhere? no is there, no is there it, a wikipedia on you, ted you actually i uh, because i vividly remember the quick story i got told on my on my birthday in november would you like to do on a couple of on-air shifts for us here and it was a station in town that no longer exists however um and so long story short i i got the thing it was a midnight so a saturday night and it was sunday morning i stumbled through the uh, first thing i did was a newscast at midnight which we all did back then and i vividly remember and some would say it is so prophetic scott i vividly <laughs> remember finish the news hit the jingle first song i play everybody loves a clown by gary lewis and the playboys <laughs> Now, did you pick that? Because I picked you talk too much. So no, I had some sway um, there. I, but no, I, it was just the uh, just the rotation. That's the rotation that came up, and I thought that's amazing. You can remember that because I can I can remember my first time on the air, but I can't remember the first song I played. Yeah, that's unbelievable. And, and you know what? And I had that tape for years and years and years and years, and finally I thought this is so embarrassing, and I got rid of it. And I thought, you idiot! Now now I'm trying to find it. Yeah, I can't. we should play that. I don't have I, it. I threw it out. You must have something. You must have something at least from, you know, that the era. Last... <laughs> Let's get the Memorex, Scott. <laughs> something with the monkeys on it. I don't know. Something with, uh, I, uh, pick your pick your guy. I don't know. I, uh, I, I think that, uh, I think that's incredible that you can, I mean, most of us can remember the first time, but for yep. you to remember uh, the actual first song that you played, yep. that's just, uh, that's incredible. All right. What about your first newscast, the decision? Because again, at the beginning, we all did that. We all did a bit of everything, yep. uh, but a lot of us were quote DJs. Yep. Uh, when did you get into, I'm, I'm, I'm Ted Michaels newsman um about 20 25 years ago i left here and kind of reinvented myself and did other stuff and then got into news and then was lucky enough to to come back here so it was you know how how they say when things happen you always kind of look at your strengths and and it kind of pivoted that way and i kind of wanted to to do that and lucky enough that some of the breaks and the people i talked to uh said yeah let's let's do it so that's kind of uh midpoint i would say 1997 ish is when I uh, pivoted. And let's talk about your passion, because I want to squeeze this into before we're out of time again. The the Health and Wellness Show, yep. which airs Saturday at 7 o'clock. Yep. Uh, obviously, you're going to continue to do that yes. after uh, you retire. Yep. But but talk, talk about your passion for that and why this is important to you. It, all I have to say about that, and there was one thing, Scott, that jumped out on me, and I tell people the story all the time. Um, 
did a show when it was called Wellness Wednesdays several years ago. Uh, we were on the air on a Wednesday night, and it had a panel discussion about uh, uh, with parents who lost their kids to suicide. It was a, mm-hmm. obviously a vi- uh, just a gripping program, and I came home, and I was emotionally exhausted. And something that night pulled me to the computer. My wife said, well, you get off the computer. I said, no, something pulled me to it. Checked the email. A woman wrote me, said, I need to get a hold of the woman you had on your show who lost her son to suicide because my son is going through the same thing. Yeah. And I'm getting really emotional about that now. Um, And so I connected the two of them, and then I found out that they were talking and helping each other, and I thought, that's why I do the show. All right, Ted Michaels with us, uh, anchor, uh, of course, uh, CHML, retiring in December, and the host of the Health and Wellness Show, Saturdays at 7 a.m. Not bad for a first countdown to Ted that you didn't even know was coming, buddy. No. Uh, thanks so much for sharing your story, and it is going to be a great 90 days, 90 whatever days. So put on your protective headgear, buddy. Get ready. <laughs> thanks so much, Ted. Appreciate it. The truth and only the truth. This is Hamilton Today with Scott Thompson on 900 CHML. You know, uh, a new feature we're going to add. It's actually an old one I brought back. But we're going to leave the last word of the show to you, Hamilton. So if you want uh, to have, you want to be the last one to stand up on top of the soapbox and have the last word of this show, the last voice anyone will ever speak before we go into the news at 6 o'clock. Uh, call us now, and Will will uh, set it up for you. All right, uh, let's bring in Scott Radley, host of the Scott Radley Show. He is back on air tonight, all, uh, uh, as well a uh, columnist with the Hamilton Spectator, and is with us now. Scott, how are you? How was your vacation? I am entirely confused. I go away for two weeks, and you're on three hours late. Zamperin's on in the morning. I don't know what's going on. Well, neither did we till the weekend. So what the heck? No, it's it's ex- it's extremely exciting, and uh, it it's is. more ch- it's more chance to chat, and uh, it's been a pretty exciting, pretty quick afternoon. Uh, that's for sure. We're pretty excited. Uh, so, your thoughts on the tie cat game? This is uh, pretty exciting, man. It was exciting to watch. Well, let's put it this way: two weeks ago, or was it three weeks ago? Because I guess they had a bye week in there. Three weeks ago. Uh, the sky was falling on this team because their first two games was Saskatchewan and Winnipeg, or I guess Winnipeg and Saskatchewan. They looked horrible. I mean, they looked like they were a shell of the team that was playing in the Great Cup in 2019. Mm-hmm. The, the offense was atrocious. The offensive line was, I mean, you and I could have done better. Um, it, it, all of a sudden, they get the bye week. They seem to figure something out. And uh, all of a sudden, things seem to be falling back into place. And Maybe you chalk it up to the fact that there was no preseason this year because of the reduced schedule, and so it took a couple weeks to get things figured out, or maybe it's just, you know, who knows, any number of things. But, but boy, I, I think that the uh, the folks who uh, live and die by black and gold are breathing again because, uh, boy, after those first two weeks, I know listening to, to Rick on the fifth quarter, um, mm. not a lot of joy in Mudville after that yeah. second game especially. <laughs> Uh, what about Dane Evans, man? He was, he was on. He was. And, you know, here's the funny thing. Um, there is an old adage in sports, and it, it pretty much goes with every sport, and that is you don't lose your job to an injury. And yet here are the Ticats who had Jeremiah Masoli in for the first two games, and as I say, nothing, like nothing was happening. And Dane Evans comes in after Masoli then gets a rib injury, and Dane Evans now, as you say, looks just 
like he's lighting it up. And so if you're Orlando Steinauer, the head coach of the Ticats, can you possibly stick with that old sports axiom and say, we're throwing Mazzoli back in there because he was our starter? I don't know how you do. I don't know how you take Evans out at this point because they, they look like a different team with him. You said it right there. They look like a different team. Uh, what's different with Evans? How is he just, you know, uh, it's your chance. Get out there and shine. Make it happen. How do you explain it? Well, partially. Uh, for sure, there's a part of that. The, I mean, the offensive line has been better. The, the, the thing that's really hard to determine is, is the offensive line better because they're suddenly playing a lot better? Or is Dane Evans getting rid of the ball quicker and making quicker reads that means the offensive line doesn't have to block for as long and is less likely to break down. Um, we're going to find that out next time that Jeremiah Masoli gets back under center, whenever that is. Because if he gets back in, and suddenly the offensive line looks porous again, I think you can then point to the quarterback. If Masoli gets back in and the offensive line gives him all the time in the world, then maybe you look and go, all right, they figured out some of their problems early in the season, and you know now you've got two quarterbacks to work with. You said if. Is it Dane Evans' job until a loss? Well, that's as I say, that's the uh, that's the tough question because generally you don't take a guy's position away because he got hurt. But again, uh, I don't know how at this point. I don't know how you take Dane Evans out of there. He's just won two yeah. games in a row. You know, all right. He, he's the he's the guy right now. I if I was coaching, he'd be the guy. But I'm not coaching. <laughs> Nice way to start uh, your home uh, with the Labor Day Classic, that's for sure. Who's on your show tonight, Scott? Uh, we are going to be talking election. We're going to be talking about... Uh, uh, Scott, are you a meat eater? Do you like good steak? You know what? I do, but I don't eat as much as I used to. Well, I'll tell you what. You're going to be eating even less because we're talking to Sylvain <laughs> Lebois, the food professor. Uh, meat prices are at the point now where he says we may be getting to the point where nobody's going to be buying it anymore because it's going up so fast. Mm. Um yeah, and we're also talking uh, about band names, because here's the thing. I didn't realize this. It's getting harder and harder to find, a, if you're a musician, to find a band name that works anymore for all kinds of reasons. Really interesting stuff. I thought that's a stupid idea, and then I read the piece that got me talking about this tonight. It's fascinating how few good band names there are left that you could choose. Is that about political correctness? Uh, partially. It's about streaming rights. It's about uh, uh, metadata online for streaming it's about, you, like racehorses, you can't have a band with the same name as another band, and you've got to have a band name that kind of reflects your band, you would think. And on and on, there's all these reasons, and it's fascinating. It never dawned on me how difficult it would be to create a proper, a good band name now that would catch on. So by the end of the show, you will have created a perfect band if, in fact, you played in one. You would have the band name. That's what we're going to hope be, for tonight. It would be the Scott and Scott, although that sounds like a bagpipe duo, but nonetheless, it would, uh, you know, we <laughs> Oh, no, this has gone from bad to worse. Uh, Make sure you're listening to Scott Radley tonight, host of the Scott Radley Show, and, of course, columnist with your Hamilton Spectator. Uh, Lord knows what you're going to hear. Thank you, Scott, as always, and have a great show tonight. Congratulations on your new start or your new show or whatever you want to say. It sounds great. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. That is a wrap for the show. Thanks for listening. As always, greatly appreciated. Uh, thanks to Will and, of course, Ted and Lisa. Diana's on holiday. She's coming back uh, for helping out. This has been just an incredible day, and it's so exciting to be a part of this. And I thank them uh, very much for all the support they've given me uh, in the last uh, 24 hours or so. We really appreciate it. What we're going to do to end off Hamilton today, we're going to do this every single day. We are going to leave the last word 
to you. So to start us off, here is Tyler and the last word. You know, I bet you if they told you that you couldn't go to the LCBO, everybody would be getting vaccinated. 